You're listening to Edu Revolution, a podcast that inspires educators to make meaningful change. My name is Michael R. McCormick, and I'm a school district superintendent best known as a technology enthusiast who is dedicated to increasing opportunity and access for each student. I'm sitting down with the movers and shakers who are making waves in the education space through research, practice, and technology integration. Buckle up and be inspired to make changes in your school or district and join the Edu Revolution movement. You can find this podcast on all the major platforms. Well, boy, do we have a treat today. Our guest on the Edu Revolution podcast is none other than Michael Fullan, OC. He is the former dean of the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education and Professor Emeritus of the University of Toronto. He is co-leader of the New Pedagogies for Deeper Learning Global Initiative, recognized as a worldwide leader on educational reform. He advises policymakers and local leaders in helping to achieve the moral purpose of all children learning. Michael Fulton received the Order of Canada in December 2012. He holds honorary doctorates from several universities around the world. And Michael, when I was looking at your website, I counted up a total of 43 books that you've authored. You, sir, are a rock star. (laughs) Nice to be with you, Mike. I appreciate it. Well, let's dive right in. So I just, you know, I'm thinking about the work that you do. And I went back and did a little research and, um, you know, there, there was this group that came together called the Committee of Ten back in 1892 to establish a standard curriculum. In other words, the subjects we teach, by the way, to this very day and the way we group students. And it was said that this work was inspired by Horace Mann from his writings in the Common School Journal. We also know that John Dewey back in 1938 wrote a book, Experience in Education, And John reminds us all that years ago, uh, he was really focused on the importance of the social and interactive process of learning. And unfortunately, that progressive schools movement, it was really hard to find examples of this this in public education and, and never really seemed to catch on as part of the mainstream. Then we have a, a book that really talks about the grammar of schooling, which is described by Tayak and Cuban. Their book was Tinkering Towards Utopia, A Century of Public School Reform. And what they concluded was that we've actually done very little to move the needle in transforming public education. And then recently, this quote from Miguel Cardona, U.S. Secretary of Education, tomorrow's problems can't be solved with yesterday's designs. The fact is there's always been a tension between compliance and innovation that's resulted in a standardization of education. So I think the question becomes is, has the global pandemic, economic and political forces caused enough disruption to our educational systems to create an opportunity? So Michael, the question for I have for you is, can we capitalize on this moment in history to transform education? Uh, That is, uh, I think, what we've never had a better chance to do that. I can't say it's going to be a guarantee because it's so complex, but I'll tell you why I think this is the first opportunity ever 
in 200 years to uh, to address that. Uh, thanks for the background intro, which is really accurate uh, because it started, education started in the pelvic realm, the Horace Mann stuff, with a focus on uh, learning. Basically, everybody should learn, they should have achievement, and so it stuck with that. Uh, Dewey... Um, had the uh, intuition the intuition and the experience to know that this intellectual learning this academic achievement was not going to be the real human that uh, we need or or that individuals should want so he knew that uh, but he was not only it wasn't ahead of his time just so much just because he had the ideas that's true but he was ahead of his time because the context did not require the immersion that he had in mind did not demand it. And the big change now, thats and which is why I think that in our own work on deep learning, that uh, this is different, is that the world is crumbling. The world is crum- crumbling physically, and the world is crumbling socially. If you take that as the condition, then the only response is an act of Dewey, an action that's Dewey-based, let's say. But he never had a chance to test out on a big scale in real time, uh, learning for all. And so what we see now in deep learning is, uh, and, and uh, COVID has enabled this, it's it's thrown, you know, uh, pulled the rug out from under the status quo and exposed everything. It could go one of two ways right now. It won't be neutral. Uh, one way is hor- more, even more horribleness. The other way is uh, uh, flourish. And to flourish, we need students as change makers which means they're deeply engaged in learning, Alan Dewey, Frere, others, and they're learning and implying at the same time. And their, their, their curriculum, if you like, is the social and physical deterioration of the world and what the alternative to that could be. Yeah, I, that so resonates with me. And, and maybe I, I was thinking about it like from this perspective is that the the content standards the curriculum um is not the means to the end uh it 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 it's not the end in and of itself i guess i would say that um but that the skills and knowledge that students need to acquire along the way to to solve a larger problem uh, is that, uh, did I do a good job of articulating what I was trying to think? I just, I think we've had such a hyper focus on content standards and curriculum that that kids are doing worksheets and things like this to to have coverage of this stuff. And it seems to me like there's so much more student agency if students are engaged in solving real world problems and then picking up the skills and knowledge that they need along the way uh, their journey, so to speak, to actually solve the problems they're trying to solve. And more importantly, uh, with respect to John Dewey and the work he was doing with progressive education that students actually care about because they want to make the world a better place. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that uh, you're, you're generally right. I think it's a, a matter of pinpointing uh, what this means and what to do. Uh, I think that the uh, one of the issues is around purpose, fundamental purpose. What is the purpose of education and learning in uh, these days? And uh, that purpose uh, has failed to develop. 
that what, ha what has happened over the years now, and you can see it very clearly by knowing that 75% of the students, even that's a, probably a, an, an underestimate, are not finding public schooling uh, engaging, connection, and meaningful. So, so, that, uh, so let's go to the purpose that's needed in 2022. That purpose has to be uh, to help learn and solve the physical and social problems of a very complex world right now to learn to solve them not just to learn to you know be able to be participating but actually to be an active uh, solver of that so when i think of the learner and this is our new work i think of the student as the centerpiece who will become individually developed collaboratively developed, which is groups, and collectively developed, which is combinations of people saving and changing the kind of nature of the of the world right now. So the convergence is between uh, the ideas that Dewey had and the requirement and the need for students not only to learn more relevance for themselves in this kind of world, but actually to save humanity, to be an instrument of, hum of developing humanity. This is the first time it's been extremely obvious that that we humans need to save humans. It's not going to happen through the curriculum. It's not going to happen through just letting it evolve. There's got to be an act of development, and that act of development has to integrate insights about knowledge and wisdom with the uh, motivation to save and improve and have humanity flourish. Boy, are you speaking my love language, Michael? Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, that that's and what what I find so fascinating is that when I go into classrooms and I talk with groups of students who are working, they're engaged. I have so much hope because I think that the students are so curious by nature and they they have the drive and they have a social consciousness. I mean, I've been doing this for 30 years in education and I've never seen a generation of students that have such an awareness of social consciousness. They, they want to solve problems to make the world a better place. So I think about now, what are the conditions for this deeper learning? How, how do we inspire not just some of the adults in the education system to create the spaces for students to really tackle these types of challenges. Um, I, I guess that's really the question. What are your thoughts around, you know, how do we create, I guess, the psychological safety for the adults in the system to make the changes so that our students can have a proper space to do their studies and, and follow the things that they're passionate about? Uh, great question. It's the whole of civilization you're asking me to address. So thank you. <laughs> well, I thought I'd throw a couple of light questions to you, Michael, yeah. to get us started. So let's think about this really carefully. Uh, they, students do have the drive and the social consciousness. We, we say we haven't found a student young enough who doesn't want to be a change agent, potentially. So we, they have that. Uh, but uh, they, um, they don't have the opportunity to develop that in action. And when they develop it in action, two things will happen. They'll learn a lot more practically about what it means to implement 
that that instinct they have. Uh, when they go to implement that instinct, they'll learn more. It's not like they've got the answer, just let us do it. They've got to, they've got to be involved in doing it to learn more, to be able to do it. So let's uh, uh, underestimate that. Secondly, when you say the adults, I think this is a, a you know it is a, a difficult for the a difficulty for the adult. One way of putting it though is things are going to hell in a handbasket, so it's not like we're we're risking much <laughs> to involve students in this. So I think uh, put another way, the status quo is worse than betting on the future of the social consciousness of the young people. The status quo is worse, and adults will realize that. So they have to they have to do, and, and our framework has the pedagogy as well as the you know the global competencies, the six, six C's. But the pedagogy to learn uh, uh, to be centrally involved in simultaneously learning, coping with, and improving the world, and that's the vehicle for learning. It's a vehicle for impact. And I think the teachers, uh, uh, when I, recently I did, you know, this the six reasons for being optimistic in, uh, in uh, 2022 about learning. One of them was that uh, students and teachers are realizing they are their own best allies. That is student to teacher, student to student, and teacher to teacher, that combination of things. And when they become allies, parents will and community, and then it will change the system. So I think it is a bit, it's a, it's easy to describe in terms of we all know, or lots of us know, that that children have an instinct and a social consciousness, but they don't necessarily have the capability to save the world. And so you really need to mobilize the whole educational system so that so that kids are really learning, and there there's no, no better learning than. Uh, solving the problem, Kurt Lewin said, "If you want to, uh, if you want to understand the world, try changing it. Uh, this is that's this changing it is to understand it better. Not that we have the answer. Let us implement it, but let us be part of the of that. And they need adults. And and so I'm not talking about student agency by itself. I'm saying they really need the partnership with adults. But we have to we have to every time we give students a chance, teachers." And their parents, the parents of the students, uh, sooner than later, say, I never thought my child was capable of this every time. And so we need to recognize the new capabilities that are surprising at first, but then become normal. And then they come, become super surprising because they do, they'll be doing phenomenal things just in time to save humanity. Oh, thank goodness. You know, I think, Michael, my mom is still saying that about me. I'm so surprised by what my son has. Little Mikey has potential, but you know, it calls to mind one of my favorite Sir Ken Robinson quotes, which is when kids get good at one thing, they tend to get better at everything else. Mm-hmm. And there's a confidence I think that they build, but I want to um, spend a little bit more time talking about because you've recently gone around and and highlighted several school districts throughout the nation where they seem to be the exception not perfect but they are certainly on a journey that um, they're accomplishing some of the things that we've been talking about they've created a different condition for teaching and learning within their systems And I'll just tee this up by saying I love the foreword by Margaret Wheatley, where she says something along the lines of this. 
to collaborate is to be fully human. So this is a new book you've written called Spirit Work. Tell us about what you've discovered in this. Okay, so um, we we did discover these districts. So Mark uh, Edwards, my co-author, who was really connected to the network of districts around the U.S. in a very great way, uh, identified, uh, and we talked about the themes, uh, spirit work and the collaboration, which, as you said, Mark, um, Meg Wheatley said, spirit work and collaboration should be indistinguishable. This is... Uh, collaborating to, you know, for humanity. So that's true. I would say about those eight districts that they are um, very successful despite the system, which means to me um, that it can be done. But it also means to me that it cannot have fully impact, full impact unless the system and the districts are working on this as a joint agenda. And that is where you are in California. You know we're well involved in that. And I see California as a uh, as the context for the next five years uh, to realize what we, in the Spirit Work book, we surfaced. But I want to be clear, these districts did not go far, far enough because of the conditions under which they were operating. Uh, but they also uh, were, were kind of the system, the bigger system wasn't helping, and if anything was getting in the way. So I think the next phase, and this is what California fa uh, faces, is how we can combine the system conditions, the, uh, the, the role of, at the district level that you represent, and the students being the centerpiece for, uh, for the, both their learning and participating with adults to help solve world problems and local problems to do that. And uh, in one sense, the difficulty in California is there's, there's too many solutions mm. bopping around. There's too much money, all of that, if you could put it that way. And so what we need to do is hone in on the actual examples. And two of those districts in our book were from California. There are many more in California that are both like uh, these, that is, they're on this track, and, and huge numbers and want to really move. It's not like they're stalling. So I think we should figure how to make these districts, uh, enable these districts and counties to move, uh, but to have as a basis for that, enabling the student as change maker, uh, as the word I use, uh, but but it's 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 built in the change maker role is built into two things. One is that it's uh, it's an engaging strategy. And the other is it's got a purpose. So if you just think of a Venn diagram, in fact, I showed it the other day, the Venn diagram has in the, uh, the engaging strategy on the, on the right-hand side and on the left-hand side has deep purpose. And the, uh, then the, when the overlaps, it has student as change maker. Yeah. And you're no, you're not a newcomer to California education. I know under the, the previous uh, State Board of Education president, um, you were doing a lot of work. In fact, you wrote a series, I think, of, of three, uh, California's Golden Opportunity. And that's when California was really taking a look at shifting uh, and kind of redefining what student success would look like in a multiple measures environment in terms of state, state assessment and accountability. And so I think, you know, there's nobody that I consider that's more well positioned uh, with a pretty deep understanding of what's happening in California uh, 
And it's, it's, it's interesting to note, you know, sometimes there can be too many things thrown at the system. And so it's hard to decipher what really is most important. And so I think this kind of focusing on just a couple of things and trying to do those really well would be helpful guidance for guys like me and building principals and teachers and even parents and communities to understand. Yeah, I think this is, uh, <clears throat> this has been, uh, I, I guess you could say it's been slow in coming. Uh, California really um, got more in gear uh, 10 years ago when Jerry Brown uh, started with the local control and the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the money that was more dispersed and the better goals that were were established. Uh, Governor Brown, as you know, was not very much of a hands-on guy. He was kind of uh, the subsidiarity um, um, person who said, okay, let's see how things, uh, let's give money and decentralize and uh, let's not try to intervene too much. That was his had to, but then the state board and many of the others were willing to take action. So we, uh, in fact, they uh, several groups came to Ontario to see what we were doing. This was 10 years ago and found some good compatibility. Uh, several of the superintendents, uh, uh, people from the state board, et cetera. And so they began and we were, that's how we got involved because they liked what we did in Ontario and they wanted to say, okay, what's the uh, California version. Then we tracked that the Stewart foundation funded us to help to influence and track it. I think that uh, it was, uh, as it turned out, it was probably a half baked solution because the thing, the solution required many things to happen and that the attempt to look at the outcomes improved the obsession with uh, academic achievement and narrow test scores and things like that. But when they created the dashboard, it also was additionally complicated. So it never was quite the right thing. And then it, uh, uh, people started to run out of steam a little bit. And then you come along with a, uh, you know, a new government transition, which could have been an opportunity to break open, but then COVID interfered. We think now COVID has actually, in a perverse way, created uh, openness to uh, an opportunity to do better intervention. And that's what I talked about last uh, last week at Monterey, where you, where you hosted, uh, that we said, here we said here is the opportunity. There's some big new things here, like uh, the community schools, not just the old-fashioned one, but really a deep one of linking the the, the the school community and the community itself and education in a very close tight relationship to develop the whole person and improve society. So right now, I think uh, there is a better opportunity. We know the do's and don'ts from the last 10 years. So that's good. Uh, we have a, a lot. There's a lot of money, as you said. Uh, but then to me, there is, uh, I guess I'll say too many policy initiatives and not enough coordinated cohesive strategy in California. So the, these people are people can bounce into opportunities because there's plenty of them. But if you have too many ad hoc opportunities, you get chaos, you don't get cohesion. And so the what we're trying to enable people to do now is move forward in a significant way and build the systemness from the school and the district and the county upward or laterally as well across the state. So I think the next three years, five years are crucial 
And there's a really a fantastic opportunity to influence it because you know the interest in this because you've seen it, you have it. And, and there's many people like you. So we really can, uh, uh, we really can get some momentum. When we say start, uh, start slow, go fast, we mean that when you start going fast, it accelerates. It's not just like, um, you know, faster, it's fast. And so I think about it, just a few pieces that go into four or five or six things that can get integrated, people doing it, seeing the energy going up, seeing kids uh, thrive and be the things, uh, reach the potential that you started this conversation with, which they already are exhibiting by way of interest. We just made to make it come alive. And those students, I will also say that students who have been disconnected the the the, uh, the inequity problem, the inequality problem. Uh, the students who have been disconnected uh, have uh, are, are disadvantaged because of that. But they also, when they get engaged, they have better ideas because they've struggled through towards solutions. And the struggle through towards solutions has enormous power uh, to go from here, both political and professional power. So I think it's a it's trying to get this down into a focus that's driven by student as change maker, driven by that, and then enabled outward as the what I call the best allies around three or four core goals that include engaging pedagogy, uh, better um, the six C's that we talked about, but also a very different co-development relationship between communities and society on the one hand and schools and, system, and school systems on the other hand. Yeah, I, I love that. And and so one of the things we've been thinking about in, in my school district for several years now is this idea of portrait of a graduate. And um, that's been a tremendous unifying process that we've gone through. And we, we've had this, let's see, this is my seventh year as superintendent. So it's been a little bit longer than that, maybe eight, nine years. And the process of working with the community to come up with you know, essentially these themes that are centered around the six C's. Uh, it, it's something that draws a community together. I'm talking about the business community, the elected officials, the parents, the students themselves, the people that are inside the system and all the partners that are associated. Um, and to have a conversation about, you know, what is it that we want our students to walk away with uh, after they leave our, our educational system and then they move on to whatever post-secondary plans they have, whether that's continuing education or directly into career of their choice. Uh, this, this has been something that has drawn people together. And I almost feel like, you know, I was on a call with uh, Secretary Cardona yesterday and he was really talking about how it is students and it is education that provides the hope to unify us as a nation. And so, Michael, I think you are right on top of this conversation. And I, and I think my experience just on a local level is that I've seen that uh, people tend to come together when we're talking about our future. And it seems to me that there's no more crucial time than right now uh, to be thinking about our future and how we can build ourselves back uh, as as a nation that is centered around preparing students for the future. 
Um, you know, it's interesting. I was talking to some high school students a couple of weeks ago, and I was I was so inspired by what they had to say. I I, I did a, a social media post, and, I, and it was essentially this. You know, at some point in my life, I'll be wheeling around in a wheelchair, and I will have no worries about the future uh, as long as kids like the ones I was speaking with are in charge. It's like they, in some ways they've been preparing to lead and they're just waiting for their opportunity. And I think to your point earlier in the conversation, the students have the curiosity and the enthusiasm and the drive, but they need the teachers and the educational system and the policy to be in alignment to support them as they're solving you know, these kind of intractable, intractable problems that we've, we've been facing. And so I think um, you are right. This is a crucial time in, in education. And I think in California, you know, like you said, we've, we've got the money, we've got the ideas, albeit potentially too many of them. Um, And I I just think this is such a, a critical time. And, and let's talk about, not not to make any specific predictions, but I think there's two paths before us. And one is a path that's filled with hope. And the other one is a path that, gosh, dare I say it out loud, um, could could be disastrous. What are your what are your thoughts on that? Well, let's start with the disaster. I think that is a distinct uh, uh, pathway. That, that's possible, and uh, uh, and I think that is the battle. I call it the battle of the decade, uh, the uh, you know the individualistic pathway or the humanity pathway, and I think the individual pathway. And I think you have a you have a, a, a possible bull coming up around uh, uh, legitimizing vouchers. Vouchers is a solution that will help individuals, and the individuals who have more resources will help themselves more that way. So. One pathway is a heavily uh, uh, focused individualistic mode that will benefit those that are able to take advantage of that. And even though some of the vouchers will be directed at those that are underrepresented, it won't be enough to be really an equal uh, development in society, but what is needed, uh, which uh, we've written about in the driver's paper, for example. So I think that what I call the horrible pathway, which is not to deny the uh, motivation of individuals who want something better for their children, that is there in that pathway, but it won't be enough for societal, it'll be actually negative. So now we switch to what you and I are talking about, and what we have, and just take the portrait of the graduate, it really is in some ways the portrait of the learner. The learner while they're learning, and the learner when they become citizens. And what we need to do, and what we don't have, is to backfill from that concept of the portrait of the learner, as I called it, into the actual learning conditions and the role of students and the opportunity to develop their instinct and and the the tremendous underutilization of students who are disadvantaged because of extreme inequality and extreme poverty. Those those people have, if anything, more interest, more uh, actually at stake to want to improve things, but they're also, they have less of the wherewithal to act on it. So we shift all this round. The portrait of the graduate, as you have, is a catalyst, but we have to, we have to use that catalyst to back 
map to make sure the pedagogy is there, to make sure the skills are there, the succeeds, to make sure that the development of the student as a central learner and problem solver, individual, collaborative, collective, uh, is the centerpiece of this solution. And we can see it actually popping up in some districts now. It's going to be, for me, it's, uh, we call it leadership from the middle sometimes. It's good. The leadership is going to be the potential interest and desire and push at the local level, the school level, uh, from parents and, and, and especially students once they get going. You need that, but you also need the enabling and the drive from districts like yours and from counties like San Diego County, where we're working, to make that even further deeply implemented. And then you need the top to enable it, but not to, I say, well, we want the top to like it, but not to run it. Uh, then, then yes, let's figure out when this flourishes system-wise, it'll be because the linkage between the portrait of the graduate and all of the things from the time that student was born till they became a graduate are all geared towards this student as thriving in building on their instincts and doing these things that we're talking about. It's almost there. You can see the short-term gains within two or three years if we do this. Start slow to go fast. Fast is fast. Fast is faster. And then once you get start slow to go fast and you get enough people five years later now starting to come out and graduate and fill up the leadership roles, the more diverse leadership that we will see, then you will get system change. And I think systemness is very much when people start thinking about the system um, that, that they are in a system, they start thinking about this. And then at the same time, they start thinking about what is the system we should want and how do we create that? Oh, that's fantastic. I, I love it. Well, we're coming to the end of this time. I told you it would go fast. It did go fast. Man, so oh, start slow stuff. I don't know whether we started slowly, but we're, we are going fast. <laughs> I love it. Well, I always like to ask uh, my guests, you know, what are you grateful for, Michael? What's on your gratitude list? Well, I'm uh, when I you know think now I'm now uh, in my 80s, early 80s, so I've had a, a, a lot of chance. I think I'm grateful for my parents. My mother and father were lower middle class. We had six, uh, uh, seven boys, counting me, growing up in a hockey uh, realm. So I'm in. I'm grateful for that. I had great parents that kind of struggle upward and enabled me to do that. But jumping to the present, I'm really grateful now to be able to be clear-headed and to be able to partner with the people we've been talking about the last 35 minutes and the interest that's there that we saw in, um, in Monterey at the CISC conference. There's really tremendous interest in people. People see that this opportunity where we have, as you said, the money, we have the legitimacy, we have the need, but we don't have the coordinated strategy. People can almost taste what a coordinated strategy could be if we can just get at it. So it's going to be a tough problem, but I'm grateful to be a player in this equation of humanity and human evolution, actually. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and where would, how, how do people find you? What's, what's the best way if, if a district or a state is interested in making contact with you and, um, having some conversations about this type of work that we've been talking about in their own system, what's the best play to get in touch with you? 
Well, the two or three ways, my email is mfullinatme.com. So you can publish that, mfullinatme.com. My website is uh, michaelfullin, all one word, dot CA. I like to think of CA as bilingual, CA Canada, CA California. So that's another route through that. And through our NPDL work, and we're actually we're finding now a lot of districts are and, and, and subparts of that are coming out of the woodwork, I put it that way, contacting us because word of mouth, we're working laterally across California uh, and uh, we just feel we're part of the network now. And we're grateful for that. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I want to thank you for being on the on the show today. It's been a tremendous honor to to host you on the podcast, and I wish you much success. And uh, I know that our paths will cross again. So thanks so much, Dr. Michael Fullen, today. Thanks, Mike. I count on you. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening today. I hope you feel inspired to be the change our students need. You can find this podcast on all the major platforms. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can connect with me on Twitter at Mike underscore McCormick2 and Instagram at Michael R. McCormick. And hop on over to the edurevolutionpodcast.com website for free resources that support your next change initiative.